It's a big week in Eugene. ESPN College Game Day returns for a big Pac-12 showdown. Thursday night football might be interesting. Josh Gordon drama and much more. It's CDHF and it starts right now. Cam Derby has been watching and listening to sports his entire life. Now, it's time for Cam to say what he thinks. For the next 45 minutes, Cam Derby is coming to you live, well, technically pre-recorded and edited from his bedroom studio in Eugene, Oregon. Cam Derby now has the floor. Cam, take it away. you look at that Eugene is in for a showdown this week it's a big ESPN college game day weekend it hasn't happened in years it's going to be really exciting I'm going to be there I'm Cam Derby I have the floor I will definitely be at game day look for my signs I'm going to have signs up all over the place I haven't made them yet but they are going to be somewhat themed to Cam Derby has the floor and of course an advertisement in case future sports employers want to find me you can find all of the shows at camderby.com. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at camderbysc. I was recently on Spent the Rent Podcast um, on Spotify and on Facebook at the Spent the Rent Podcast Facebook page. I'm on episode six. He's a little interview about how I got into my internship and what I've been doing over the summer and basically just the passion of sports that I carry and, and the deep roots in that. So check that check that out. It was actually really fun. Self-Esteem Boat Willie was the host of it. I had a blast, and I hope that he invites me on for another episode eventually. I am going to be interviewing Raymond Leonard Hill um, for the October 4th episode before his pro MMA debut at the Midtown Throwdown on October 6th. It's going to be a fun interview. It's the first time I've ever had an interview on the show, and it's going to be with a pro athlete. So that's pretty exciting. But ESPN College Game Day in town, that's what... Everybody in Eugene is buzzing about. I have a buddy that just sent me a Snapchat. He was walking down the road next to Austin Stadium and ran into the duck. Puddle's just walking around. The city seems to be buzzing about it. Everybody's talking about it. There's a college game day desk at the EMU at the University of Oregon for people to take pictures with it. ESPN is already setting up, so it's going to be a fun weekend. And besides that, there's a big football game that's going to be here. So I'm not going to do too much intro into the show. I'm going to jump right into it because I do have a lot to say, and I only got a little time frame to work with. So I'm going to get right into a breakdown of number 20 Oregon versus number 7 Stanford in Eugene at 5 o'clock. It's going to be a fun time. Let's get right into Duck Country. Alrighty, let's talk about it, shall we? It's number 20 Oregon versus number 7 Stanford at Autzen Stadium on Saturday at 5 o'clock. It is going to be... Such a fun day. I am going to be covering the game. I will be in the press booth with KWVA Sports. I'm going to share a KWVA package I did for them last week when Oregon took on San Jose State. I'm going to share that in just a little bit. But I was there for Oregon-San Jose State. I'm going to break that down a little bit before I get into Oregon-Stanford. The wide receivers have to help Justin Herbert more. I'm sorry. I I think in in the first quarter, somewhere in the first half, we saw a stat pop up across the screen that said that 
Justin Herbert was one of seven or one of six, one of, one of the other. I can't exactly remember right now, but every single incompletion had hit the hands of the receivers. That is absolutely atrocious. You have to help Justin Herbert more. If you're going to beat a team like Stanford, you are going to have to be able to make big plays. You're going to need two or three big plays. And the only way to make those big plays is to catch those balls that Justin Herbert puts in your hands down the field. I mean, that's just the way that it is for me. That That's one of the keys to Oregon beating Stanford. The wide receivers did this for all three non-conference games, and frankly, it was the worst in the third game against the worst opponent, in my opinion. So, I mean, that's going to have to get fixed. The offensive line, they got to protect Justin Herbert more, and they got to open up holes better because the run game wasn't that good. The, the offensive line did not protect Justin Herbert very well. You could see it up in the booth. You could see it on the TV. You could see it down on the field on the sideline. The offensive line struggled to protect Justin Herbert. The trenches got pushed back and back and back. And for the first time in a long time, the defense is what saved Oregon football from being upset. Now, usually it's the offense scoring 50, 60 points and bailing the defense out for giving up a lot. But that's just not what happened this week. The offensive line has got to protect Justin Herbert. He was, I think Justin Herbert threw two interceptions in this game. Both were caused, well, actually, I won't say both. One of them was pretty blatantly Justin Herbert's fault. He made a bad decision, threw it across the middle, and there was a guy just waiting for it. But the other one was caused by pressure, and 134 rushing yards on 49 attempts for Oregon. That's 2.7 a carry against San Jose State, a very bad rushing defense. So, that's going to have to get cleaned up. And the fact that that happened in the third non-conference game when the team has played two non-conference games already and should be pretty ready to move into the Pac-12, that's worrisome for Oregon. And I know that every team will have a bad day, but that's very worrisome that that happened in their home stadium uh, with a team like Stanford the very next week. Did they overlook San Jose State? The possibility is there that they just completely overlooked Jose or San Jose State because Stanford is going to be coming into town this week, but the defense stepped up against a San, a San Jose State offense amidst Oregon's offense struggling so badly, and uh, I'm going to play that package for you here focused on Justin Hollins and Ugo Amati. Please enjoy. This was my package from KWVA Sports last week. You can find that uh, on my website as well. I'll be posting it up there today, so please enjoy. Uncharacteristic struggles on offense forced the Oregon defense to step up in Oregon's 35-22 victory over San Jose State at Autzen Stadium on Saturday. While they may not show up on many highlight reels, the big plays of senior safety Ugo Amati made major impacts on the game, not just on defense but on special teams as well. Head coach Mario Cristobal spoke to the big performance after the game. Up to, uh, to the standard we were trying to set for it, and those guys took a lot of pride this week. Ugo has really done a good job. Um, he just hasn't had an opportunity. You know, a lot of the punts that he's fielded have either been short punts where the coverage was right on top of him or really high, long hanging punts where he's had to make some fair catches. Today he had a little bit of room and some space, and the guys did a really nice job for him, and he was able to pop a big one right there and almost scored. Senior defensive lineman Jalen Jelks noticed Amadi wasn't just impacting the secondary but making big plays in the backfield as well. His improvement has been tremendous. Every time I was in the backfield, he was in the backfield with me, which is kind of crazy. He was making more plays in, in the backfield than I was. So to have a DB like that, being able to come down and seal edges and fill in and, and hit running backs in the backfield is, is tremendous. And I mean, just to see his improvement over the past couple of years and him stepping up as a leader, just trying to take over the defense. And it obviously shows on film. He's definitely a leader and it shows. 
Amadi finished with 100 yards on special teams, including one return for 57 yards. He also came away with five solo tackles and two breakups. Another star who had a big impact on the final result was senior linebacker Justin Hollins, who boasted one interception, six solo tackles, and a forced fumble. Coach Cristobal was impressed with the performance. A great performance by him, very disruptive in the backfield, affecting the quarterback, um, disrupting the run game, uh, always just causing some type of chaos. He really is a, a special player, and he's playing at a really high level. Uh, his motor is, you know, he's got himself in such great shape. He can go all day, and he did that today. A couple of those batter balls as well, you know, uh, besides the interception, you know, the batter ball almost turned into another interception, So, and I think he had two of those. So everyone I know is, um, is really impressed and pleased and, and fired up about Justin's play. Junior linebacker Troy Dye raved about both stars' playmaking abilities. Phenomenal job. I mean, you see Ugo play. I mean, how many times he had A or whatever it was. I mean, he led the team. Justin Hollins is always wreaking havoc off the edge, always getting the quarterback's face, applying pressure and stuff like that. And he finally got a pick. I mean, the dude kind of bobbled it here and there. But if he would have dropped it, I would have got on him. But, uh, I mean, we were really excited about those two and, and continue to hopefully they play the way they've been playing and keep going forward. Those stars will be asked to play at even higher levels when Oregon opens Pac-12 play against Stanford at Autzen Stadium on September 22nd at 5 p.m. From Autzen Stadium, Cameron Derby, KWVA Sports. So there you go. There's a little... There's a little uh, breakdown of how Oregon's defense did in my uh, coverage of Oregon and San Jose State. Now, the defense played really, really well. Now, the the coverage there was based on Justin Hollins and Ugo Amadi kind of zeroing in on those guys, which, in my opinion, Ugo Amadi was the player of the game. But that defense did some things that they, they really had to step up for. Uh, there was one possession where special teams gave up a giant return and San Jose State ended up down at the five-yard line to start the drive, and Oregon did not allow them into the end zone. There was a couple of turnovers that got uh, San Jose State into the red zone. The Oregon defense stood up and made sure that they did not get into the end zone. So Oregon's defense is actually starting to come around, and that's going to be a giant key to beating Stanford. So here we go. Can Oregon beat Stanford? Stanford hasn't been too impressive against unranked opponents either. Week 1, 31-10 against San Diego State. Week 3, 30-10 against UC Davis. Now, the big marquee win was USC. They beat USC 17-3, and Bryce Love ran for 136 yards against a Pac-12 opponent. Now, that's pretty impressive. If Oregon can make some big plays, though, meaning the receivers actually catch some open passes when Herbert hits them, the D-line can limit Love. I do believe that Oregon can beat Stanford this week. Is it realistic? Probably not. I don't think that Oregon will beat Stanford. Oregon always seems to drop one at Autzen Stadium that the crowd is very hyped up for. But ESPN College Game Day is playing a huge role here. ESPN College Game Day is the answer to the prayers of the Oregon Ducks. Because the Oregon Duck fans, in my opinion, now this isn't going to be a popular opinion, but I am teller of the truth. The Oregon Ducks fans have been atrocious thus far in the non-conference schedule. The Autzen Stadium atmosphere has been non-existent. I have been there all three weeks. I have been at games for the last five years. I have watched this crowd go from being a crowd that makes even non-conference opponents feel just terrorized, even big opponents, to feeling terrorized, to being a spoiled fan base that is used to 60-point blowouts. 50-point blowouts, 40-point blowouts. This crowd has been silent. It has been non-existent. And I have watched Oregon football players physically jump up and down in frustration 
trying to get the Oregon crowd to do something during the non-conference games. And ESPN Game Day being here could possibly revive the crowd, revive Autzen Stadium, because we haven't seen this kind of media attention in Eugene since Marcus Mariota. So it's going to be an interesting thing to see being at Autzen Stadium for this matchup. There's no doubt the atmosphere is going to be there for a giant game like this. There's no doubt about that. What I'm saying is that the Oregon crowd used to be a crowd that was excited for every game, not just a big game. They were supportive of their team for every game, not just a big game. And I would like to remind the Oregon Duck fans that it has been much, much, much worse than this in the past. If you think this is a bad place for Oregon football to be, you have become spoiled by Marcus Mariota. You have become spoiled by Chip Kelly, by Nike's recent boom in production with Oregon. And that's just the way that it is. Because I heard fans argue this week that they are just used to big matchups at Autzen Stadium and watching Portland State and San Jose State just isn't exciting. That's what they're saying. It's Oregon football's fault for the way that they scheduled. Well, I apologize, but I'm going to have to burst your little bubble there. I have been at this university for five years, and that was during the Mariota years, and I saw two big opponents in non-conference schedule at Autzen Stadium. I saw Tennessee, who was the worst team in the SEC at the time, and I saw Michigan State. Now, those are the only two real opponents that I saw in Autzen Stadium in non-conference. In the meantime, I saw in 2013, Nichols. I saw South Dakota and Wyoming in 2014. I saw Eastern Washington and Georgia State in 2015. I saw UC Davis and Nebraska in 2016. And I saw Southern Utah and Nebraska last year. What do you mean that you are just used to big matchups? That is so far beyond telling a lie. I can't even believe it. You are a spoiled fan. That's what's going on. Oregon fans have become spoiled. The real reason that the Autzen atmosphere has been at its worst in the last three weeks is because Oregon fans are used to 40 to 50 point blowouts over the last decade, and now they're unhappy and unsupportive when Oregon struggles. I hope for the Oregon team and for the Oregon community that the stadium atmosphere is back to its menacing reputation this week when Oregon hosts Stanford, because this could prove to be the win that puts Oregon back on the map but the team will need every drop of energy it can get. Wake up, Eugene. Help the team out this week. My rant is over on the crowd. I'm going to get back into breaking down this game a little bit. Bryce Love is an extremely important piece to this equation. Oregon has to limit Bryce Love. Bryce Love, last year's Heisman runner-up, is a man on a mission. He's more than a man. This guy is a machine. So you are going to give up a big player, too, from Bryce Love. There's going to be no surprise in that. But you have to be able to at least limit them down to where you can match the big plays. If Oregon can match Bryce Love's big plays through Oregon's offense in the air, I think that Oregon can keep an offensive pace with Stanford. Stanford is only scoring 30 points a game. Oregon can muster that no problem, especially if the receivers are catching passes. But the Oregon defense is going to have to get a couple of stand-ups in the red zone, that's going to be really important. Stanford is going to get into the red zone pretty quick, and Oregon is going to have to stand up and allow field goals instead of touchdowns if they're going to keep pace with Stanford. But I personally think that it can happen. 
But the other big key is what I was talking about earlier. Those receivers have to catch some passes. They cannot have six to seven drops again. And that has been the trend over these three non-conference games. This is a very young roster for Oregon. There's no more figuring out where you're putting pieces. You have to put your best guy into place right now. The most impressive defensive players so far have been Ugo Amadi, in my opinion. Justin Hollins has been incredible. When Troy Dye is back to being Troy Dye, that guy is everywhere. And, of course, Jalen Jelks down on the defensive line. Those four, those four leaders, those four veteran leaders are going to have to play lights out at Autzen Stadium at 5 o'clock on Saturday with ESPN on the call. It's going to be a fun time. I can't wait to bring you the coverage. You can follow KWVA Sports for all of the coverage. I will be on site with them. I will have post-game coverage. I will be in the press conferences. I'll be bringing you audio. Follow my Twitter at CamDerbySC. Follow CamDerbyHasTheFloor on Facebook. Follow Cam Derby has the floor on camderby.com, and you will get a good amount of breakdown, not only before the game, after the game, but during the game. I love throwing out cool stats. I love throwing out little breakdowns that I see uh, from play to play. So make sure you follow all those things. It's going to be a fun time. I think I'm going to wrap, wrap up Duck Country here and get to some other cool stuff that's going around throughout the day. I'm actually recording on a Thursday today, so I'm very, very current with what's going on right now in today's world of sports so let's talk a little bit about other stuff that was duck country i'm going to give a quick prediction i don't think that oregon is going to win as much as i think that they can i just have that odd feeling that they won't and every time i've had that odd feeling that they won't in my five years here they have lost Um, the last time i had this really true feeling that they might lose was when they played arizona at Autzen stadium a couple years ago and i got to listen to the crowd walk away in silence so I think that Oregon will keep pace, but they will make too too many stupid mistakes, like dropping passes. I just haven't seen them break out of that yet, and I think that that's going to be a big key that the Oregon offense isn't going to be able to muster something for the first time in a while. So I think it's going to be 30-24 to Stanford beats, beats Oregon on the road at Autzen Stadium. And we'll we'll see what happens. Hopefully, uh, hopefully for the Oregon community, I am proven wrong. But that's my prediction. Oregon loses by a touchdown or two at Autzen Stadium with ESPN Game Day in town. <laughs> Let's talk a little NFL, shall we? That sounds fun. There is some drama going around around the league. It's only three weeks into the season not even yet we still have thursday night football tonight and there is some drama going around how about this uh the pittsburgh steelers antonio brown situation i have never seen this really with the steelers before uh antonio brown today is saying that the steelers suck he is very upset over the winless start and he's very upset with the media listen to this quote you guys don't know me at all You guys just write what you think is going to get hits. Everyone in this locker room knows what I stand for, knows what I'm about. I'm committed to this program and this organization. I'm fully here. I go to work every day about my business, and I don't take it for granted. My business is winning here. I come here to win. We ain't winning. You're damn right I'm pissed off. Wow. 
to hear players just say that they are openly pissed off about how the team is performing. It's be, With the way that the media is now and the way that players protect themselves from the media, it's not very often that you hear a quote like that. So in my opinion, it's really, I mean, they probably tell that to each other every day when, when, the, when the cameras aren't there. So it's not that shocking for me, but I think it is shocking for other people. And, and I really don't think that this is that big of a deal. I do think that the drama in Pittsburgh is that big of a deal, but what what's going on with Antonio Brown saying stuff like that, I think he's just trying to motivate his team to win some football games. And I think that the frustration with Le'Veon Bell is definitely playing into the situation, but there's also drama. And, and I feel like, I do feel like the Pittsburgh, or uh, not Pittsburgh, the New England Patriots drama is just created by people, like people that want the Patriots to fail. So they come up with something like Tom Brady and Bill Belichick still aren't getting along. You've been saying that for 10 years. I've been hearing that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick ain't getting along for literally like 10 years. It's in the headlines every summer. Get over it. Those two, you don't have to be best buddies to be a successful franchise. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are the pinnacle of that. They are the the face, the, the poster child. That's what I'm looking for, the poster child for that. They're always going to have just a professional relationship. I don't see anything wrong with that. People forget that these guys are going to work. To you, it's playing a game. To them, it's work. It's a job. It's a business. Bill Belichick has a job, and it's to win football games. Tom Brady has a job, and it's to be the best quarterback that he can be for that team to help them win games. Because those two aren't necessarily getting along right now doesn't mean that they're not going to be successful. We're we're only three weeks into this season. You know how many times I've seen people talk about the Patriots are going to drop off in week three? They just keep making excuse after excuse as to why all of a sudden they're starting to win. And all of a sudden, okay, now all of a sudden they started out one and two, and now now they're six and two, and now they're seven and two, and now they're eight and two, and now they're nine and two, and the, the drop off is coming. The drop off is coming. They just keep saying that, and of course the drop off is eventually going to come. But you can't keep saying that every year. People say that the drop off for the Patriots is coming this year every single year. So this drama that's going on with the New England Patriots. I don't even bat an eye at it because I don't think that it means anything. I think that it's just created by people because they want the Patriots to to fail. They want the Patriots to lose so bad that they make up this crap about how Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are going to drive the Patriots into the ground because they're not getting along anymore. Get over it. Just get over it, would you? And also, this Josh Gordon thing that's going on. Look, the Cleveland Browns stuck by Josh Gordon through three suspensions and just non-stop discipline. And they stuck by him for a long time, and eventually they got to a point where they just say, you know what, it's best for the team if we just move on. And the New England Patriots are willing to take a chance on a guy like that. Not every team is. Now, what I will give to the New England Patriots is I think that he is going to be better there. I think they're going to find ways to get him the ball. I think Tom Brady is a much better quarterback than Tyrod Taylor is. Tyrod Taylor is a good quarterback, but Tom Brady's Tom Brady. So I think that Josh Gordon in New England is going to be a successful thing as long as he stays healthy. That's, see, that's, and, and I don't necessarily mean healthy. I mean, as long as he stays on the field. You know what I'm talking about. As long as he's not suspended, it's going to be a successful thing. Tom Brady will turn any receiver into a pro bowler, and Josh Gordon could be a pro bowler as it is with the Cleveland Browns if he wasn't suspended all of the time. 
So this is going to be a success. The The Patriots are going to find ways to get that guy in the end zone. If you've got him on your fantasy team, hold on to him for a couple weeks before you just drop him because I think that it's going to be successful. Um, but the guy's got to stay not suspended. And there's there's ideas around the league that maybe, or around amongst fans, I should say, that maybe the reason that the Cleveland Browns got rid of him is because they know that discipline is coming soon from the NFL or maybe they know that he's not – living up to that uh, expectation that they need him to to live up to. So they got rid of him in hopes that they don't get in trouble for uh, keeping him around the roster. Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe this whole uh, Josh Gordon missed training camp for three weeks, maybe that has something to do with disciplining him, or maybe he had to take care of himself, meaning, you know, and this is all just maybes. I'm not saying that this is in concrete. This is exactly what happened. I'm just spitballing, just kind of brainstorming what's going on with Josh Gordon because if Josh Gordon is suspended another time, that's going to be it. We're not going to see any more Josh Gordon. So, of course, these ideas come to mind. But as far as the drama goes with the New England Patriots, with Brady and Belichick, I don't want to hear it anymore. If they're in the AFC Championship game, AFC Championship game again, I just don't want to hear it anymore. The... Tom Brady is going to retire within the next three years. So, I mean, that that, that drop-off that you're talking about is coming, but it's not coming until Tom Brady retires. That's just how it is. It, it's just not coming until Tom Brady actually retires. But we'll see. Tom Brady does show some signs that he's going to retire. He said a long time ago he wanted to play till he's 45, and I think he's starting to realize maybe that's not as realistic as he thought it was because there's lots of time that he's missing with his family and stuff, but... As far as, as Belichick and Brady go, they have a professional relationship. I mean, they, they have a professional relationship. They're not best pals, and it makes people that are fans of other teams uncomfortable because fans of other teams can see relationships between players and coaches, and the Patriots just don't have that. The Patriots come in with a business mentality, win football games. They're not here for emotions. Do your job. I mean, that's literally their motto, do your job. If every guy does their job, they will win the Super Bowl. And that that's what they're there for. They're there to work. I don't think that there's anything that Patriots fans should be worried about, that this is how it's been for years and years and years, and the Patriots have been winning Super Bowls and, and appearing in Super Bowls for years and years and years. So I really just don't care about what's going on there. Thursday night football is looking like it could be interesting tonight. Thursday night football with the Cleveland Browns and the New York Jets. A lot of people thought it was going to be Darnold versus Mayfield at this point, but it's not. The Cleveland Browns have stuck with Tyrod Taylor, or Tyrod Taylor, whatever you want to, however you want to say it. Um, they, they've a lot of people thought that it was going to be Baker Mayfield up to this point, but the Cleveland Browns have stuck to their guns. They've stuck to Tyrod Taylor, and I think that that is the right decision. I think that. Uh, to Rod Taylor is the veteran quarterback of the two. He is the right guy to lead this team. He led the Buffalo Bills to the playoffs, and now we're seeing how the Buffalo Bills are doing without him. So I think that they have made the perfect decision to stick with Tyrod Taylor, and now we're going to see the Cleveland Browns win their first game. I think that's going to happen tonight, and I think it's going to happen because a lot of people are not realizing that the Cleveland Browns would be 2-0 and against top-tier teams, against the Pittsburgh Steelers and the New Orleans Saints, two playoff teams. The Browns would be 2-0 and if it wasn't for a kicker that couldn't put the ball through the post. And now they've gotten rid of that guy. 
Now they're going to play a not top-tier team like the New York Jets, and I think that the Cleveland Browns are going to win a game, and I think they're going to win six games this year. And I think that because they can move the ball offensively, as soon as they get some some big plays working on them, they've, they've struggled with big plays a little bit. Um, their offense has been very conservative, protecting the ball, which is good, but they still have to take a couple of those shots down the field. And I think that those are going to start to, as they break more film down, that's going to happen. But, dude, they would be 9, or they, they would be 2-0 and oh if it wasn't for a kicker. I mean, that's that's a hard thing. That's a hard pill to swallow that the Cleveland Browns actually have made progress because they have a tie and a loss. They're 0-1-1 right now. But tonight they're going to be 1-1-1 in my opinion. I think they're going to beat the Jets by two touchdowns. They were able to go from being a, a sure-shot loser against a top-tier team to two overtime games, which should have been won by the Cleveland Browns. The, the Pittsburgh Steelers got extremely lucky to get away with a tie there. That game was extremely ugly. There were turnovers all over the place. It was pouring down rain. The Steelers cooker couldn't hit a field goal. The Browns kicker couldn't hit a field goal. And then, of course, Cleveland goes into New Orleans, into um, a, a top-tier previous Super Bowl winning team in the last decade's home stadium, and and almost beats them. Like, the, the crowd was so hyped up that he missed that field goal because they almost had to swallow the pill that they lost to the Cleveland Browns, and they were the first team to lose to the Cleveland Browns in a really long time. The Saints' defense is atrocious, and the Cleveland Browns highlighted that some more. I think the Cleveland Browns' offense is going to move the ball a lot better this week. I think that getting rid of Josh Gordon ultimately is good for the team because that drama of wondering if he's going to be there or if he's not going to be there or if he's going to start or if he's not going to start, that's gone. And now the Cleveland Browns can be focused on winning football, which is um, what the culture change has been there. This is the, the Josh Gordon situation is once again another piece of evidence that they are changing the culture in Cleveland. They are done taking chances on guys that don't give them the best opportunity to win football games. They are not wavering at the quarterback spot because they lost a couple games at the beginning of the year. They see the improvement, they see the progress, and they are sticking to the process. little shout-out to the Philadelphia 76ers there. Trust the process. They are trusting the process right now, and I think that they can muster out at least six wins this year. Don't think they're going to be able to make the playoffs, but they could muster six wins. And if they get a win right now, they're right there in the playoff discussion. I mean, it's only three weeks into the year, but... They're right up there in the lead for their division. So we'll we'll see what's going on because the the Pittsburgh Steelers not that good. Uh the Bengals look like they're they're better, but I don't trust the Bengals out of the first round. And the Ravens uh just a mediocre team also. So that division the times are changing. We're starting to see some some movers and shakers in the league and I think that the Browns are on the right track. They're going to win tonight on Thursday Night Football. Now, how about the fact that NFL Thursday Night Football, in an attempt to make it such a more interesting season for Thursday Night Football, because Thursday Night Football has been so exciting over the last several years, they schedule the Jets and the Browns. Come on. Just get rid of Thursday Night Football. Thursday Night Football is unsafe, it has been uninteresting, and there's no point in pushing this money machine any farther. We should play football on Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday night. Those should be the football days for the week. 
on the weekends when everybody can watch and enjoy the game and we can have some interesting games as well that are properly scheduled. Thank you, NFL. Let's stop hurting the players for games that nobody cares about. Um, but tonight, my prediction is that the Cleveland Browns win. I'm going to go 28-13. to I think the Cleveland Browns' defense is uh, – they have a great defense. That defense forces turnovers all over the place. They did it in the preseason. They're continuing to do it uh, in the regular season. So Cleveland Browns beat the Jets tonight on Thursday Night Football. Uh, if I'm wrong, I'll totally just admit it next week, but I think the Browns are on the come up. Well, how about the Bucks? How about the fact that Jameis Winston may not have a job soon because Fitz Magic is back? I don't know how this guy does it. He's like Nick Foles. If he's a starter with a big contract, nah, nothing's happening. But if he is a backup and he comes in to save your team, all of a sudden, he is like an angel sent from the Lord above to rescue your team. The Bucks are 2-0, and and they are dominating, too. And Fitz comes out looking like Conor McGregor in his press conference. He's also doing PR things for the Bucks. He's getting them back on ESPN. Not only is he winning games, but he is getting them back in the media spotlight by stealing his teammates' clothes and walking out in the press conference, swagged out with a chain hanging off of his chest, sunglasses on, his beard popped out. It was hilarious. I thought it was hilarious. I think it's brilliant. I think it's an amazing, maybe not a strategy per se, but fantastic PR move to let everybody, just to remind everybody, because what happened was everybody said, oh, look at Fitzpatrick wearing all that stuff. I wonder how the Bucks did this well. Oh, my gosh. They're scoring 40 points. It's unreal. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers should go with Fitzpatrick. Jameis Winston has proven to do nothing but get himself in trouble and keep the Bucs idling. Now, as good as Jameis Winston is, the Bucs have just continued to idle with him at the helm, and he cannot keep himself from doing illegal things, from getting in trouble, from sexual assault, from theft. He can't seem to keep himself away from it. And that's not the kind of guy that you want to have be in the face of your franchise. I think they should stick with Fitz. Now, what you worry about with Fitz is that he could get a contract, he could become the starter, and then all of a sudden he just goes right back to New York Jets, Fitzpatrick, which started with Fitz Magic as well. So you kind of got to be careful there. But I would much rather have Fitzpatrick, if, if he's performing well, I would much rather him be the face of my franchise than I would Jameis Winston because Jameis Winston can is not a role model for kids. He is not a role model for a community, and he's just kept the team idling. Maybe if he goes to a different team, we see that those awesome performances, but those awesome performances came when he played with Florida State, and most of them came from come behind or come from behind wins. And when he played a real team uh, that year that they were undefeated, they they just got blown out by Oregon in the Rose Bowl, and we saw him just have an emotional meltdown. Now, I totally understand that that was years ago, and he is a much different player now, and he's probably grown up a lot mentally since then, but he hasn't grown too much in the sense of he can't keep himself away from trouble with the law. you got to go with Fitzpatrick here. you got to ride this roller coaster if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You're winning games, okay? Don't bro or don't fix what's not broken. That's what I'm trying to say. Do not fix what's not broken right now. Keep writing Fitzpatrick. Keep Jameis Winston on the bench. Remind him that he is being punished. 
and three games, in my opinion, was so not enough for what happened. So not enough for what happened. So go ahead and continue that bench riding. Let him see Fitzpatrick lead this team. And if Fitzpatrick starts to decline, then maybe you have a conversation about the quarterback because it is a business. But I still stand my ground that winning football games is not more important than the law. The three-game suspension was not good enough, and Jameis Winston needs to sit a little longer, and you need to let Fitzpatrick ride this wave that he's on and help you continue winning football games in the meantime. I don't usually talk about these sexual assault cases in, in too much detail because I don't I just really don't like to talk about them that much. I don't think that giving the people that did it uh, attention, I think that it's newsworthy to the point of saying they got found guilty or they didn't get found guilty and and leaving it at that. And I think that punishments should be extremely harsh on sexual assault. Um, in the NFL, in the NBA, in any pro sports, in life, I think that sexual assault is wrong, it's inexcusable, it's disgusting, and it should be an extremely harsh punishment. Now, that is the opposite of what the Dallas Mavericks got um, as an organization. Mark Cuban agrees to pay $10 million um, to organizations, women's organizations, but the, the team is not going to face any further punishment for the investigation that the NBA did. Adam Silver says the findings of the independent investigation are disturbing and heartbreaking and no employee in the NBA or any workplace that, for that matter should be subject to the type of working environment described in the report. Okay, so then why wasn't there a punishment? Why is there no punishment for it? Now, what I will say for Mark Cuban, now the NBA says that they have evidence that he knew nothing of what was going on. And with all of the crazy recent sexual assault allegations, not only against uh, athletes, but against actors and other famous people, Mark Cuban's apology seemed to be the most genuine that I've ever seen. Um, he said, first, an apology to the women involved. This is not something that is just an incident and then it's over. It stays with people, it stays with families, and I'm just sorry I didn't see it. I'm just sorry I didn't recognize it. Now, most of these apologies, when they happen, they often kind of just beat around the bush without directly saying sorry. And I think that Mark Cuban did that. So I, I kind of believe Mark Cuban when I hear that he didn't know anything about it. But it's also hard for me to believe that he didn't know anything about it because he's the one that runs the company. And he has been so adamant in the last 10 years about knowing everything that goes on in his organization. He's aware of everything. And the fact that this was happening right under him, the stories that have come out of this report are too disgusting to put on the air. I, I am not going to repeat them on the air or on my show. It's just not worth it. But the fact that the Dallas Mavericks didn't get any any sort of punishment at all is not good enough. We have to hold professional athletes, famous people that our kids look up to, that our communities look up to, that our communities pay a lot of money in taxes to support that those people are held accountable and that they are not above the law simply because they have a lot of money. I got to tell you, I wish I had $10 million to just pay out when I made a mistake. Of course, hopefully I never make a mistake like this in my lifetime. Mark Cuban supposedly didn't know about it, but gosh, wouldn't it be nice to just have $10 million to just hand out when, you know, because it's going to help you get off the hook? I think that a suspension 
was is right. I think I don't think that you need to ban Mark Cuban here because if their if their investigation shows that he didn't know anything about it, that's fine. And don't ban the guy. Don't force him to sell the team. But it still happened. Whether you knew about it or not, you're responsible for this organization. You're responsible for the hiring. You're responsible for the firing. And the people that you trusted to put in place within your organization did this. So now the organization has to be punished. And it, no wonder the Dallas Mavericks aren't winning games. You've seen what's going on over in their organization. It's absolutely unreal. I can't believe it. Um, it's, it's just really sad what happened, though. It's really sad that women have had to go through that in a professional work environment. Not only that, but in a sports environment where women have had to go through this. And it's time to stop ignoring it, and it's time to hold those people accountable. Uh, no punishment is not good enough. The $10 million to a women's organization is not good enough. Something needs to be done about this. Three games for Jameis Winston, not good enough. One game for Ray Rice until somebody found out of, about a video, not good enough. It's not good enough. I cannot speak it any more clearer. It needs to be a harsh punishment. Sexual assault, the, the, the next time this happens, the person needs to be made an example of. Sexual assault is not acceptable. It is a crime. It is disgusting. It's disrespectful. It's despicable. And it should not be allowed in professional sports. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, but the the NBA, there's a lot of other news going around in the NBA. Jimmy Butler, unhappy in Minnesota. The rumors are is that he is most interested in the Clippers, which could be actually interesting, Jimmy Butler to the Clippers. Um, I've also heard the Knicks. Uh, I've heard a couple other teams, but Jimmy Butler, after just one year in Minnesota, unhappy with his relationship there. The NBA is going to be fascinating this year, don't you think? Like the the way that the Warriors. I've I've also been hearing this week that Clay Thompson could end up not being a Warrior after this season, and that he is interested in the LA Lakers. So the Lakers making that push to be a super team again by next season with LeBron James in place. There they got a veteran leader in Rondo, and then they've got young talent in Lonzo Ball, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. And the Eastern Conference looks as if it's going to be the Boston Celtics, the Toronto Raptors, Indiana Pacers, and the Philadelphia 76ers. So in a time when the Lakers-Celtics uh, were, were fierce rivals and were going to the finals all the time, they actually saved the NBA from... A lot of people could argue they, they saved the NBA just in general. And I think that that could be coming back with the, with the NBA. A lot of people claiming that it's boring because the Warriors win every year. A Celtics-Lakers rivalry when they're both good again could potentially save the NBA from the Warriors and now the fact that the Warriors are hitting that time when a dynasty typically starts to die off it, it this year is going to be a pivotal year for the NBA I think and I've never been I said it before in the show I have never been more excited for an NBA season um an, an NBA season, an NCAA season, and an NFL season happening all at the same time. It is going to be so much fun in October because then you're going to get college basketball also. This year in sports, for some reason, I don't know why. I've been watching my whole life, but I just have a passion for what's going on this year. Well, hey, I had so much to say about certain stuff this week that I just wasn't able to get to the games. 
ESPN College Game Day being here just got me so excited to talk about Oregon football that I went a little long with that. So that is going to be the end of the show. Unfortunately, we will get back to some of the games next week. But please watch for me on ESPN College Game Day. I'm going to be in the crowd. I'm going to camp out all night. I'm going to have my signs advertising the show and my personal uh, portfolio on camderby.com. Thank you so much for listening. Again, I can't wait to get back next week. Internship is over, so I should be able to do some stuff every week. We'll see how the school schedule works out. But you guys are great for listening. I will catch you next week. Send me emails. Send me comments. Give me ideas. Give me notes. I love uh, the criticism. So have a good week. You guys know the rules. Really quick, you know the rules. ELE. Everybody love everybody. Everybody love everybody. Everybody love everybody. I'm Cam Derby. For the last 45 minutes, I had the floor. For the rest of the week, you guys have the floor. Thank you for listening to Cam Derby Has the Floor Season 2. You can catch all of the episodes on Spotify as well as at camderby.com. You can follow Cam on Twitter at camderbysc. All of the shows will be archived at camderby.com where you can locate them at any time. You may also email cam at camderbysc at gmail.com.